Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Roosters Calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. In fact, it's Connor Jasney who's never kicked a goal. He has never kicked an AFL goal. And he's got one. Flicks it over his head, got it to Himmelberg. Oh, he dropped the tackle, handed it to Green. Open goal, and he'll slot it with ease. Wow. Toby Green versus the world, and Green's still winning. Everywhere he looked, there's Giants all over this. Toby off the left oh. has kicked the goal, and that's exactly what they deserve, the Cats. He kicked one earlier, Radigalia, just to the right of centre. He's put it through. He's found a way, and now the Cats are a real chance. So as you said earlier, Jared, a season can get blown up just yep. like that in one night. One wow. night. Could Bruin seal the deal? Himmelberg will. He'll open up the angle and drive home the winner. It is over. The Giants will win at GMHBA Stadium against all odds. So as you said earlier, Jared, a season can get blown up just yep. like that in one night. One wow. night. Could Bruin seal the deal? Himmelberg will. He'll open up the angle and drive home the winner. It is over. The Giants will win at GMHBA Stadium against all odds. It's just a significant win. I mean, um, we're not going to deny that. I mean, it's probably one of the better wins we've had. We had such a young team. Everyone knows what we've seen when we put, uh, put those young fellas out in the park. Um, it was really good watching at ground level. It was a pleasure to watch because uh, they kept on hanging in there. They made some mistakes. We were brave at footy. We knew we had to move the footy against Geelong's really good defence. And um, so those sort of significant... It wins, you know, mean a lot to us. You know, we'll enjoy the moment tonight, clearly, because those wins don't come around um, a lot. But um, we wake up tomorrow and um, we smile on our face and we look forward to whatever day we're playing next week. A giant leap towards September action. GWS secures a critical win against the odds in the most decisive step taken to secure a place in the eights. Can Leon Cameron's men defy the circumstances and defy the chases? Dangerfield had a little opening, which he didn't take, but he might get on the end of a Blitzarves handball now. No, he tackles Green. This is going to be interesting in replay, Hutto, if the elbow comes up. Dangerfield with that elbow from Toby Green is in a spot of bullet. I think they took him to the hospital as a precaution as much as anything. I think it's probably good news that we haven't got a negative update. So I'm being told that he's going to stay in overnight, but he's feeling fine. And we've got oh, another Zach problem. Tui's done a hamstring. Oh, this has been a disaster for Geelong. Zach Tui, as is often the case with a player who's never done a hamstring before, is a bit unsure. Um, but our medical staff are pretty confident that he does have a hamstring injury, so we're not sure of the extent of that. But we would think that that would keep him out uh, for a little bit, a couple of weeks at least. Um, is my best guess. Uh, but Gary Rowan, 
Uh, he was a bit wounded from really early in the game, but it was more a, uh, a sort of hip issue that we don't think is very serious. We certainly would have taken him out of the game earlier if we thought there was a risk of injury. A dirty night for Geelong. A home loss to disrupt momentum compounded by untimely injury and potential suspension. Will it derail the Cats' premiership ambitions? And in this instance, it's not a lack of education. We've got no excuse. This this mistake's unacceptable. In saying that, my priorities at this point are all our staff, our players, the Indigenous community as a whole, and and I'll I'll still be there for, for Taylor when the time's right to support him through as a, as a human being. The integrity of the finals is our priority and, and getting crowds there is, is, is a close second, having the energy and the, and the finish this season that it deserves. So we'll leave all the decisions as late as we can. Just want to be really clear. Our, uh, our view and our expectation is we're playing the grand final at the MCG. Otherwise, if, if this is how a legend of the game exits a big club, well then you know, I think that's a, a blight on the game, to be honest. If, if we're going to jump straight into what's it doing next, and a disturbing and distressing week across the football landscape. How did the game confront the latest episode of racial vilification? And what are the ramifications of a fresh COVID outbreak in Melbourne? It's all in the round 21 edition of Crunch Time. Spirits are a bit low in Melbourne today with 29 positives revealed from the latest outbreak. Uh, Lockdown was badly needed and called in the nick of time, but none of those 29 were in isolation. So uh, the state is on the brink. It has, well, it's real life, and then it has its footy ramifications as well. It's a week that's tested the emotions up and down. But if you're a Giants fan, you'll be up like really before, I imagine. They are doing all they can now for their Sydney fans who are in long-term lockdown as well. Jared Waitley with you for Crunch Time. Justin Leppich is with me. Hello, Lepper. Good morning, Jared. It's a bit to take in, isn't there? Wow, there's a lot going on today. Hopefully we uh, get through the next two hours. There's a fair bit to talk about. But good on the Giants, hey? Well done. They've uh, The musical chairs of eighth position has changed again, and they've got it for this point in time. Eighth has been a position to fumble, really, mm. for about the past six weeks. But last night, it was grasped. Yeah, it's funny, that GWS, because as we know, they're beating the good teams and they're losing to the, the teams near the bottom. And Port have the other problem where they're losing losing to the top teams and beating everyone below them. So it's quite a funny old year this year. And and I think it just got even weirder last night, to be honest. It's, it's like the 80-1 to one shot got up for me. It was quite a quite a bizarre night. Daisy Pearce, welcome. Thanks, Jared. Uh, good to be here. Uh, unbelievable result. What a win for mm. the Giants. I mean, you go down there and if, if Geelong had wished for any night, that was the opposite to what they got. I mean, they, they lose the game. I don't think it harms their chances losing the points. They've banked that top four position. But the injuries and the way that the night planned out is exactly what they would have not hoped for. And for the Giants, well... Could have gone one of two ways. Go down there, get overwhelmed by a more experienced outfit at a venue where everyone struggles. Or they would have, they were going to play with energy and that's what they brought. I mean, guys that have been sitting in the hub, young guys in that profile that probably haven't been feeling sorry for themselves. They're on the road with their footy team and they came out and played with an energy and confidence that got them over the line. Sam Edmonds, crucial today because is how big is the toll is the is the biggest question. Yeah, Hello. Indeed, Jared. Well, it was a big toll coming in for the Giants, and that's what made them Giants last night in every sense, didn't it? The side was absolutely gutted. They'd lost three of their last four, been on the road since forever, 
Playing aside, as Daisy said, they've only lost 10 games at home over the last decade, Geelong. The Giants absorb 20 more inside 50s and somehow find a way. It's a terrific win when you consider, how's this for a list? Kelly, Hopper, Davis, Lloyd, Hogan, Tom Green, Cornelio, Finlayson, the list goes on. They weren't there. No side has won at eighth spot. And the Giants themselves, have, I think, lost three of their last four going into this one. Maybe we finally found our last finalist. So they finish with Richmond and Carlton. In their time on the road, they've been an interesting study on the road. They got beaten by Hawthorne at the MCG, and then they beat Melbourne. So they beat Melbourne at the G and Geelong at Kidinia Park. In there, they've then lost to the Gold Coast. They lost to Sydney after a huge start. They squeezed out from behind and beat Essendon, and then were... They, they nipped away at Port Adelaide without being able to match it with them. So they're three and four in this prolonged period on the road. But depending what Fremantle does, it may very well by the end of the round be theirs to yep. hold. Yeah, look, the only person that would have tipped that last night are the people that forgot to do their tipping because they would have got the away <laughs> team. That's about, the, that's about it. But you look at the, I, I think, do we pay enough attention to something as simple as accuracy? Like, if you said to me, all right, I'm going to paint a picture for you. You can give me a result, Jared. Geelong are going to have 20 more inside 50s. They're going to have six more shots at goals. They're going to win the clearances by seven. Mm. They're going to have eight more tackles. What's going to happen? And you say, oh, well, they'll win by maybe 30, maybe maybe a bit more. No. <laughs> so it's quite a weird mix of numbers, too, to get that result. So, what? again, it's just a strange old night. And was Sam Taylor playing key forward last oh, night? He, was he came out on the lead a couple of times. Look magnificent. So, gee, Geelong. 17 poor. intercepts. Like, that is eight intercept the, marks left. Off the charts, though. 17 in total, it, a grand ball and aerial. I it's think that's crazy. The, it might be that, Daisy, equal second most we've seen all season from Sam he Taylor. He was unbelievable. And the courage to stand in front of Tom Hawkins when he's so good at working players under the balls, not many defenders are prepared to do it, but so many times he backed himself in and re- was rewarded. Yeah, we saw him. I, I see him as a Dow defender probably up until now as the type of player he is. I never saw him as the Nick Haynes intercept type and, and get your offense rolling back the other way. But last night I was like, wow, where has this come from? I'm not sure of his previous numbers before that, Sam, his, uh, biggest, his biggest intercept game before that. But that was... That's just going from naught to 100 uh, in, in as far as his output in that part of the and game. And to do it when you've got a massive job one-on-one. On one. Well, so yeah. he had the big job. And it should have yep. been up to others to have to come off and roll off and help him. But he was the one doing it so often when he had Tom Hawkins done or Geelong were using another option. He was still prepared to back himself in and come off, which and that's, was impressive. That's 49 games yeah. he's played too. That's obviously great positioning and every, and speaks to pressure up the ground. GWS take nothing away from them, but gee, the cats were poor, weren't they, in terms of the options and the waste, uh, I suppose, Leper as well. And listening to Chris Scott afterwards, we might look back on this, he says, as not being a big deal provided we can respond next week. Now, that response is going to have to come with probably their busiest and most hectic selection table that they've seen all year. It'll be like the deck chairs on the Titanic next week, Jared, which I know we'll get to in yeah, a moment. Yeah, so just before we work through each of those, is what of Geelong, Lepper? Oh, I think it's a blip. Oh, that's as much as you can deal with it. Because I'm a big believer from the finals is a completely different beast and a different, completely different season, and they're qualified. Um, and sometimes a little kick in the butt about this time of the year isn't a bad thing either, just to realise, you know, you're not as good as what you think. We're talking Geelong up so much in the last few weeks, and, you know, they are the premiership favourites, and, you know, are they better than the Bulldogs? Then all of a sudden they dish that up. So sometimes it's good just to get the motivation back. What do you think, Dance? A blip for me as well. I mean, they, were, they weren't full strength either, and no Jeremy mm. Cameron, who's yeah. close... No Mitch Duncan, who they may get back at the start of finals. They lose Paddy Dangerfield early. And they managed Isaac Smith. And it just kept jumping out to me how quickly he's become a really important player in their transition. Big runner. 
he, he often is the one that is getting pass for handball receive off half back when their ball movement speeds up. They do like control in their back half, but they do get speed on it from there. And he's often the one that orchestrates that. He, he picks his moments as to when they need to go slow, when they can speed up. And he's often the distributor. They couldn't get that last night. They just lacked that that speed and so often they were held up. You think about that inaccuracy, Leper. It wasn't there were a few shots they should have kicked, but a lot of them were taken from forty out on tight angles because they'd had they'd been forced to go slow, yep. which allowed Giants time to get back. There was just no room to get a good shot at goal. So they had to settle for, for t- tough shots. So that inaccuracy is a couple of times poor kicking from the cats, but I thought it was the way that the Giants defended. So I I, I don't panic for Geelong. Mm. I think it's just a blip, but yeah, they'd they'd want to start getting the pieces of the puzzles back together at the same time because I think that's what we'd all thought was about to come, but last night suggests that they're going to have some other injury concerns. So the pieces on both sides of the board, should, should we start with, well, the order that they happen. So Toby Green, is the yep. Toby Green fend-off, which goes wrong on Dangerfield and leaves him in hospital, is that a reportable offence? That's a good question. There's so many, um, there's so many similar type of incidents, and you almost have to grade. Okay, was was it a football act or a non-football act? So Toby Green would say it was a football act because I had the ball in my hand and I was fending. And then there's a degree of saying, well, is that arm now just being used as a weapon? I don't think he used it as a weapon, but I also I also think he was coming a little high with the elbow. So it's it's somewhere sits in the middle. So what I'm saying, is it a fine? Is it a weak? But one thing about Toby Green, doesn't he do this to you all the time? He sits on that nice edge so much that you're thinking, oh, man, why are you doing this again for us? Like, we're at this situation where you've, you've, you're going to make us make a call about you. Just put that elbow a little lower so you don't have to. You know, if it hits the top of his sort of chest and then rolls up, we probably aren't having this conversation. But he always hits the fine line. Toby with these sorts of things. So it's sort of in the lap of the gods a little bit for him. So he doesn't have the luxury of is it a fine or is it a week? It, it's simply a debate at the moment right. of is it a reportable offence? Because the way it will roll out is that's going to answer that question. But is it a reportable offence? What do you think, Dane's? Well, I think the precedent was Bailey Fritch against Powell earlier in the yeah. year, um, Melbourne, North Melbourne. He was got, that worse? I think it was a similar action. I mean, mm. when I look at Toby Green, there's no intent to hurt or no malice in that action. It, it's a raised elbow, so as soon as you do that, there's going to be questions asked. But the next part of that action is that you put your hand out straight to fend. So I think if you'd had a fraction of a sec- second longer in that tiny little moment that happens in a, a split second, and it, it's, it's just a fend-off and we move on. But it, it's just those small <laughs> margins in a game that's moving so quickly. It will get looked at because he's raised his elbow and it's caused an injury where Paddy Dangerfield spends a night in hospital mm. with contact to his neck. So I think it will get looked at. I, I don't think that there was any kind of wrongdoing necessarily or any intent to hurt or harm in Toby Green's action. It wasn't a dirty act for me. It was just a an a, a unfortunate circumstance. But, Lebby, you're saying he knew what he was doing to some degree. No, he knew he was fending off yeah. with, it, with an elbow. He knew that. It's just how high do you do it? So for these things, there's a little bit of... How much did Paddy contribute at all? None. Was he lowering himself at the same time as Toby's arm was coming from down to up? Was Paddy coming from up to down? Because often then you can't read those scenarios, you know, because you think someone's at a certain level when you start to do it, and then all of a sudden they, they are lower than what you expected. So this is the this needs forensically looked at to sort of get a bit of a feel for me. Uh, I probably haven't looked at it enough to go, actually, Pat, he, he did raise it higher than what he should have raised it. As I said, first thought is, 
it's a football action. Then you watch it and think, was it a little high? Did he could he have lowered his arm? But then you start to get into that that tit for tat sort of stuff. So the the Fritch incident, yeah. Yeah. it was graded. It, it was. was a suspension. They went to the tribunal and beat it. It was. It was a football act, I, I guess, in layman's terms, was the reason it was overturned in the end or, or thrown out, Jared. Now, it was assessed by Michael Christian as careless, medium impact. So medium, even though Powell, he did leave the ground, but he came back on and played it out and high contact. So that equated to a one-match sanction. So if Michael Christian does concede that this is a reportable offence, and it has to be at least high impact because Patrick Dangerfield's, as we said, spent the night in hospital, couldn't continue on with the game. So it's a matter of if it gets to that. If it does, it'll be careless, high, and high contact, you would have thought. He graded Powell medium, and as I said, and Powell came back on. So Patrick Dangerfield will be uh, discharged from hospital today. He's got a bruising of the airway. The Cats are still awaiting on some further scans there before they um, make an official announcement on it. But he's obviously in doubt for this coming weekend. But thankfully, it's as good as could be expected given the situation. Is the injury incurred the only way they determine impact? Because it doesn't seem right that it's just a big because, part of it. Just because Paddy Dangerfield's gone to hospital, it's a, he's he potentially hit a completely different part of the body, a completely different injury. So just because Tom Powell comes back on, it hit his skull, which is a stronger part of the body than yeah. the neck potentially. So is is that right that we de- determine impact completely on the injury that happens? Because that's that's to go around and guess who's got a harder head. Yes, it is <laughs> to a degree. That's right. If it gets graded. Toby Green doesn't play again in no. the home and away season, although we, we'd be bound for the tribunal on Tuesday night. Joel Selwood's action is clearly reportable. Yep. It's just what are the layers in behind that in the aftermath once um, once his opponent gets back up and, and plays on. But that bump to the head, is that action simply has to be graded. Well, that's the opposite, where the action itself looked worse, but the result to the player, he mm. just bounced up and kept playing. Um, Joel's one looked a little bit more clumsy to me as well. It was almost, he looked like the old guy that couldn't pick up the ball again. So he just wanted to keep his feet and sort of bump the guy out of the way. And it sort of all went wrong for him. So I didn't think it was hundred percent malicious, but it still is a bump to the head um, as opposed to playing the ball. So I, I think this one's a bit more clear cut. He's just lucky. He didn't probably come through with any more force. I don't think it was an overly forceful yeah. bump. He wasn't running through at a million miles an hour. So the impact's not high, but it's, it's probably more of a deliberate act than what Toby Green's is. So it's an interesting debate. It'll definitely get looked at as well. I think low impact, given the velocity that he was coming in at, as you said, it was a bit clumsy. Um, but that—that's what I mean. If if he runs in at a hundred miles an hour and Sam Taylor still comes back on, do we still call it low impact because he didn't get concussed? No, no. Well, if if he knocks him out in that instance, uh, he so Selwood doesn't play again in the home and away. And season. it's called mm. high impact, even though he's run yes. in at at low speed. So yes. How, how? But gee, the players didn't like it though. The GWS no. players, and they are often a good indication well, as to how it's viewed at the time. Mm. Yeah, it didn't look. It doesn't look good for him. When and I know slow motion can do ugly things for the player in question, but um, I think he might be in a bit of strife. So low is a fine and mediums a suspension. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously he plays out the game, which is great at the end of the day. So it'll be somewhere. This this is the in the margin. So the literal interpretation will be low as a fine, but the potential to cause injury would be medium yeah, and a week. Exactly. So it's which lever will Michael Christian pull? Who could possibly predict what way this is going to go? You're asking me the impossible questions, Jared. <laughs> what about the injuries? 
Yeah, not great, obviously. For We'll start with the Cats. They lost Rowan to uh, to a hip injury, sort of a hip. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. Initially, it looked like he grabbed it, his hamstring, so he's in doubt for this week. He soldiered on in a limited capacity, Daisy will tell you, and then um, ended up pulling the pin on him in the last quarter. Two, he's more serious. That's a hamstring that will definitely sideline him for. I don't think he's had a hamstring before, Zach Tui, so sideline him for a couple of weeks. Joel Selwood, we mentioned, might get suspended. Paddy Dangerfield is in doubt, but they're going to get back Isaac Smith, Jeremy Cameron, O'Connor will return, Henderson will return as well. So they've got reinforcements coming, but uh, it's one step forward, one step back to some degree at the moment for the Cats. Yes, yes. It suddenly puts a lot on their Melbourne game, which was not anticipated. I think there'd probably been a view that the top three would hold their their positions, but that is far from assured now. Um, Port Adelaide and Sydney both both have a sight of a better position than they might yeah. have imagined. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, so it, it, you could hear it in Jared Healy's call last night is the potential for one game to blow your season up. And you only ever know in hindsight as to whether, is it all recovered and they win at home next week? They suddenly went from having three at home, perfect run in, time it, See in the finals in either second or first, second or third place, and now it can get sticky. Well, they really struggled for an avenue to go last night for Mon. It was amazing how, when you take Cameron out of that side, uh, Rowan's obviously hobbled. They really struggled to find another avenue. Hawkins obviously well held by uh, Sam Taylor, who was masquerading as a defender, but was really playing key forward as we spoke. So um, they just need to get Cameron back in there, which they will. Uh, as Chris Scott said, it would take something uh, dramatically to go wrong for him not to play next week, and they just need Gary Rowan to recover quickly. So that's last night. It has been a huge week for the game is we'll deal with the Tex Walker racial vilification case next. And then what does the COVID outbreak mean for the run to the finals, the prospect of, I know we're all eyes to the grand final, but what will it look like at the start of the final series? And then there's um, Nick Del Santa, who's part of our crunch time team, is going to join us from Marvel where he's on duty today. He was appointed the AFLW coach at St Kilda and uh, it let forth quite the debate. So we'll have that. We're in great hands with Daisy Pearce in the studio and Nick Del Santo, who will join us after 12. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster, available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's calling. Crunch Time for Red Rooster. Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. New Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray, Nissan. And in this instance, it's not a lack of education. We've got no excuse. Um, In our industry, we have have the best education around this space of of anyone in society. We we have the privilege of playing alongside um, some of the greatest athletes in the world, uh, Indigenous athletes. Um, I've been lucky enough myself to do that. Sorry. Yeah. It's um, it's it's times like this you want to, you know, you make phone calls to people you played alongside, and you, you apologise to them. You just want to look them in the eye and be able to say, "We've got your back," and, um, and that's hard to do at the moment. I think we're we're human. People make mistakes. This this mistakes unacceptable. In saying that. Yeah, my priorities at this point are all our staff, our players, the Indigenous community as a whole, and, and, and I'll, I'll still be there for, for Taylor when the time's right to support him through as a, as a human being. 
The raw emotions of Adelaide coach Matthew Nix yesterday, and you marry that up with the hurt that's been expressed by Michael O'Loughlin and Eddie Betts, and it is a shuddering reminder of just how distressing race rule vilification is within a football environment, and then you can extrapolate that more broadly. Um, it's hard to rationalise this week, I must admit. I I don't really understand how this would still happen, and it is um, it's confronting and it's also depressing as to what we would aspire to be, but clearly where we still are. And Taylor Walker regrettably has to wear that through his own actions. How have you felt about it, Days, as the last three or four days have unfolded? Uh, I, I don't think I or we will ever understand the, the hurt that comes when you're at the centre of this type of racial vilification. But you can try and understand it and you can try and understand how much it hurts people. So when, when you have done that, there is an embarrassment and shame when it continues to happen. And I think it's worse when it's one of your own. So when you can put it down to the potential lack of education or understanding, it still is embarrassing, but it's more embarrassing and more. It, it, I feel more shame when it's one of our own as a, as a player and someone who you know has had the privilege that, that I have in a footy club of going through all the education. I mean, we get exposed to programs, the best Indigenous leaders in the country come and, and walk us through the history and, and the hurt. And so we do know. And, and we get the privilege of playing alongside these amazing people and, and, and better understanding their history and, and why it's, it's so hurtful. And despite all that, it still happened. I think that's why it's rocked the industry and I think that's why that emotion comes out in Matthew Nix. It's embarrassment and shame because he's had those same privileges. Yeah, it's it's bewildering to, to be honest and given what you just said of the education that is around. I mean, I was part of 28 years in the AFL and the education is just constant and for for a man who had to have led the way in this area and this isn't a hot incident. This isn't um, you got hit by somebody in a game and you just quickly spit out something off the cuff, it, it's it was quite quite bizarre. I'm really um, taken aback, to be honest. That a man of his age, his experience in the game, could make such a terrible mistake like this. Um, because yeah, it's just not what we're about. And it's, it's, I think when I when um, I spoke to you about it, Sam, I think I said, "Welcome back to 1985." It really just felt what what, what is happening right now? It was it was odd and. Um, it's hard. It's it's hard because we all have I have a lot of Indigenous friends. Um, um, my wife's Indigenous Canadian, um, so they they have this, their own struggles over there. The Canadian Indians over almost a similar type of thing um, over there. Um, so it, it's uh, I see it um, a lot um, happening in her home country. So it's quite bizarre. Um, it's a really really odd thing. And um, yeah, as I said, a lot of people probably don't know how to how to take it. So with that raw emotion in Adelaide at the football club. And it, it is an issue of self-reporting to the AFL and then the consequences come. How, like, the hardest part to grapple with is how does Tex Walker return to the inner sanctum mm. of that football club? I, I don't know. I, I, it's a it's a long road. And, I mean, there's the, the sanction itself that he'll miss six games, but there is a lot of repair work for him to do to be able to go back in and command the respect that he may have once had. Um and there's a lot of reflecting the club need to do because 
it will be awkward for Tex, but he, does his presence there make it awkward for the six Indigenous boys and the the, the Indigenous staff that, that are also in the club? Like, there's a, there's a lot of repair work to be done. How does he look him in the eye? How does he look Wayne Miller in the eye or um, or Ben Davis who designed the Indigenous jumper or Shane McAdam or any of the other Indigenous staff that are at the club? It's it, it's hard to get your head around. Their greatest player is Andrew McLeod. Uh, he's gone into bat for Eddie Betts over the years. I just How can he possibly repair those bridges? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's going to take a long time. There's an old saying, time heals all wounds, but this is going to take a long time, Yeah, I, I think, because it's it's just a... It's a really, really bad mistake um, uh, from Tex. Um, it's a horrible, horrible choice of words. Uh, um, we all make mistakes in life, yeah? And, and, and I'm hoping he admits that it, it was just a really bad choice of words and it wasn't what I was thinking. It came out wrong, whatever whatever it what, what was said, um, and starts the repair process now, which is what he's doing. But yeah, it's it's just a really it's just a really bad error. It really is. So how did how did the game deal with it? Uh, or you sort of have to almost take a clinical analysis of it. Is there programs which Tanya Hosh runs, comes into action, uh, and it ends up a, a six-week suspension. So I know there was so much debate yesterday around the punishment. Yeah, well, what, what? It's not enough. Well, I'm just left with – so what would we be satisfied with? Well, I don't with? know, but when you when you look at fans who have thrown bananas and racially abused players, that they're either been indefinitely banned or they've, they've been made to serve a two-year ban where they can't go to the game. And he, here is a player exposed to all the education the world, as Daisy and Leper have pointed out, a former captain, a celebrated figure. He makes a, a comment in the cold light of day, like Leper says, and he gets six games. Seems It's not right. It's just there is no formula for it. So, you know, how long is – I'm not sure any length of time is enough. And maybe nothing so, is as bad as, as having to go back into the club, as we've said. Yeah. That, that's the punishment. Over and above any amount of games he's given or any financial sanction, the punishment is facing up to this and walking back down the road of repair, if that's what he chooses to do. I mean, I haven't ruled out that you don't go away from this, reflect and, and decide you can't do it in himself with where he's at in his career. I, who knows? But that's that's the real punishment. The the amount of weeks, I don't think there is an amount of weeks that, that satisfies. Is there? No. Well, I can't. I, I, no, I just can't figure that out. There There's is, no equation for it. And there isn't a number that makes those words okay. No. That's, you could go as long reality. as you like and it doesn't heal it. You hear a lot from our, uh, our Indigenous friends about it still happens in our society and, and, and I'm, I at times think I'm a little blind to it because I don't have conversations like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't speak like that. We don't speak like that in, around our family. But it makes you realise that there is still a lot of work to be done and we need to be the drivers of this. Um, you know, people like myself and what we would call white Australia need to actually stand up a little bit more for the Indigenous communities and not just Indigenous communities, all, all races really because, you know, it almost shows that the casual sort of stuff is still around a bit and it, and it's just got to end. It really just – and the people to stop it aren't those that are telling us that it's still going on. The Indigenous, we, they know it still goes on. They hear it. We're the ones that have to stop it um, and stop it in the conversation and stop it in the hallways. If you hear it, call it out in the community. And I guess that's the one part I think I can – say about Adelaide Crows a tick is that they called it out themselves and that that is a good thing that's a start it wasn't something oh, a reacting because it was a public nature oh we'll, we'll respond and react now it actually was a proactive move so I think that's one step closer I hope to a better result 
That's the only silver lining in in the question that you asked, how has the game dealt with it? The way that the Adelaide Footy Club dealt with it and that you've got a, a staffer who, mm. let's be honest, is down the pecking order in terms of the hierarchy of a footy club. That still exists. It, there would have been a time where the ex-captain of the footy club would have been protected mm. at the expense of the, the feelings and potentially the career of a, of a staffer, but he's had the courage to speak up and the club have dealt with it in the way that they have, knowing that the aftermath would be this. They've they've confronted that. So that's the only silver lining in how the game's dealt with it. And for the player group, so the player group has been so proactive in support of its Indigenous brethren calling out abuse on social media and the like. I did sit there yesterday and wonder... Of all of those players who have done that, and they they have done it from exactly the right place, did they do enough yesterday to confront it within their own ranks? And I wonder what the grapple would have been like for each of them who has posted something over the past 18 months while they've really come at this front on. Did they sit there yesterday going, oh, what do I do now mm. that it's from our brethren? And there was, if we're really honest, there was a distinct lack of voice from fellow players regarding what has happened compared yeah. to how they've confronted other issues. Well, I was really glad Paul Most and the AFLPA came out as strong as they did because I was wondering, they have been lightning quick on everything that's come from the other side of the fence, but as you say, one of the, their own, and it was a strongly worded statement, which which was great to see. Um, yes, it's, it's a... But it is, I don't know how you... I'm with you. You just can't believe it. It's yeah. unfathomable. And when Eddie Betts says it's getting worse, yeah. not better... I think we actually have to confront that and go, okay, that's the reality, not the reality we would we would like it to be, but how it actually is in our community. And then listening to the talk back yesterday and to watch the messages flow through, I, it, it's a, it is distressing mm. um, because we're not where we would hope to be and we are not as one in it. Can I just say what I said about the education we get? I just want to reverse back over that. And it's not academic in the sense that, oh, I've done that training and I've ticked that box so I should know academically, like I'm, I maybe should know on OH&S <laughs> um, mm. compliance. It's a privilege to, to be exposed to the storytelling and the education we get. And to it's, it's, I guess, unique in the sense that we get to be up close with Indigenous people in our workplace and in our endeavours on a weekly basis. Like it's not academic that we've done the training and should have the theory. We should understand more deeply and that's why I think it, there is a, a level of embarrassment and shame when this happens. You're listening to Crunch Time. For the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships, they stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, it's available at selected restaurants. Crunch Time for Red Rooster. Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. New Navara at Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan. Right now, the top two teams in the AFL ladder are the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. Um, and I can tell you, if you ask their supporters, they would rather 15,000 BMCG on grand final day than 60,000 at Optus. Now, I'm not saying that's the AFL's view, because they would have at least some chance of going to watch their team in a grand final. That's Richard Goyder, the AFL chairman, had a function yesterday. It was played on Channel 7 last night. And if we're honest, that's the first time that mm. view has been put into the public commentary. So today, Victoria is in lockdown and there are 29 new cases in Melbourne. They are all linked to the outbreak, but none were in isolation. So the natural course is that those numbers will grow over the coming days. So what does it mean from a football perspective? 
So if you simply apply, this is what's going on today. If you simply apply the previous model, this lockdown gets extended to a second week. So there's no catastrophizing in that. That's just the what we just lived through. And then the next two weeks out of lockdown are no crowds. That was the decree of health authorities and government. So you can extrapolate from today that the first week of finals in Melbourne will have no crowds. That's what's being grappled with at the moment. It won't, it'll be a while before that becomes official, but if you run the forecasting of consistent application, we now know that the first week of finals has no crowds at it. So you have to then get to the business of searching for a solution. So let, let's put it on the table first. So the grand final through Richard Goiter. Yeah. If there are, there is a view, Sam, that the MCC will enforce its contract if there's the possibility of any crowd. And Richard gave 15,000 as a marker, which was previously thought impossible. That is a big comment from Richard Gordon. Now, I know he said that wasn't necessarily the AFL's view, but that is the first time that you say, rightfully, that the AFL's dipped its toe in the water when it comes to, I don't know, a figure, a threshold, if you like, a, a, a trigger point for the MCG and the MCC to enforce that contract. So that's a massive comment from Richard Goiter, and perhaps a way that we haven't really thought about it before is to who actually is in the grand final this year and how much will that determine the decision? Because the AFL is going to leave it for as late as they possibly can. We read that they've canvassed clubs on this. They've got the feedback. They're going to leave it as late as they can. Now, the AFL, the government and the MCC had spent a month planning for the grand final to be at the MCG prior to our lockdown. So Gil McLaughlin, I'm told, is on good terms with the government. So I suppose the AFL has at least to be seen to be proceeding for as long as they can with the MCG to keep in lockstep with the Victorian government. That was all based, that plan, on 50,000. 15,000? I would have thought contractually they wouldn't have a leg to stand on with 15,000. But if the AFL say they're willing to hold it there with two Victorian clubs, then then it's on. Is it... So just as a visual... I say, Daisy, you've got an emotional stake in this as a demon... Um, is it okay to stage the grand final at the MCG in front of 15,000 fans? There's so many pros and cons. 15,000, I, I think you need a crowd there. You, def, you don't want to be playing in a grand final with zero crowd. But you're a long-suffering, tortured Melbourne supporter, as Jared's getting at. Your team make the grand final and they ship it off to Perth and you can't get there. Surely your heart is bleeding if that happens if you're a Melbourne supporter. But if you can't get there anyway. No, but if there's 15,000 at the MCG, 15,000 can get there. I know it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe it's the better option. I, I don't know. There's so many pros and cons and too many moving pieces to theorise. I don't I don't know the answer, but I've got a left field one. Yep. How many weeks between vaccine doses do you need? What if they said vaccinated Australians can come to the grand final at the MCG? Oh, boy. So they can't <laughs> because... Because all the community doesn't yet have no. the choice. So okay. there'll be a moment where that's AstraZeneca real. AstraZeneca choice. I, we don't, we still don't. Have, yeah. I don't think we're, I don't think that's fair on the community just yet. There'll be a moment where that absolutely is the threshold. But it is, it's still eight weeks, isn't it? Between AstraZeneca's doses, it's three with Pfizer, but everyone can't get access to Pfizer. Yeah, there's a delay. But it, it'd fill, it'd fill the MCG and it'd help the, uh, government with their struggling vaccine marketing strategy. <laughs> it would be a motivator, 
What about you, Lepper? Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I think the game's about crowds and people. I'm about the atmosphere, and if we can get a full house, get a full house wherever that is. Um, I, I, I don't see the point of having. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a party, it's a celebration. If there's only fifteen thousand people, the rest of us are watching it on TV. What's yeah. the difference between watching it on TV in Melbourne or watching it at a game in Perth? And, and like, is this where we get back to the finals? Get boxed up. Driven across the Nullarbor and we unveil it all over there. So I think this is the question for the first weekend of finals is, let's say uh, the Bulldogs, Melbourne or Geelong are the two hosting teams in the qualifying finals, which it's hard to imagine they're not. Yep. Two of those are not the top two. Do you protect the integrity of it and play those two games in Melbourne in front of nobody? Or do you ship it all off and find a way to have an atmosphere and a crowd? Because that is the reality of today. The qualifying finals in Melbourne will be played in front of nobody. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I think it's about a crowd. You watch, you watch the two games. We discussed this last week. Um, it was Essendon, the Essendon game last week versus Sydney. Amazing game with no crowd, no atmosphere. But it was an amazing game. But then you had the Richmond-Fremantle game, which was a bit less of a game, but it was a tight struggle in front of that. It was pulsating. The crowd creates the pulsating nature. Get back to your point, Sam. If there's 15,000 people, I can guarantee you five of them are going to be wearing suits and eating. And and they're not Melbourne supporters. (laughs) They're they're going to be sold tickets. If you're going to sell a ticket at the grand final, you've got 15,000. Are you selling the $5,000 tickets? Mm. Are you selling the $200 tickets? I know which ones I'd be selling. So those Melbourne supporters aren't getting in anyway. Actually, Melbourne might be because they would, they have got the money to pay for the, <laughs> they have got the suits. They have got the suits. So. Hey, but but so does it get into integrity when you're talking league one of the finals as well? Because it's one thing to have say Geelong playing Melbourne at the MCG, but then what happens if you've got an interstate playing a Victorian team, which is entirely possible? Um, do we have to make sure that they're on neutral territory right the way through the final series? You, you can't have one team getting an advantage opposed to another. And I know we did last year, but the the horse had bolted last year. We couldn't do anything about but there's it. There's no advantage. Like I think Brisbane might have played eight games at home this year, and Carlton have played fifteen, something yeah. like that. So trying to get any sort of but for finals, thing, yeah, but. <laughs> Really? Oh, I mean, I'm speaking to the wrong person. <laughs> I, I mean, the whole game last year was, mm. you know, we were saying, oh, Brisbane were getting too much of an advantage last year and, and the Gold Coast, and they weren't in the grand final. But So I just think it's one of those things. These, this is the least of the problem. But I would I would do anything for, anything for our game to look like it's got atmosphere and a lot of atmosphere and people bouncing off the walls to go see it. And I don't think Melbourne can provide that this year, as bad as it is, because I want to go. I'd love to go to the grand final. Well, there's only year. one place that can provide it. That will, it seems to be the case, but we just have to take our medicine, I think, at this point in time and then plan for next year. That's about what if – if the only other option is 15,000, I'd, I'd prefer a full crowd. I think they've just got to keep liaising with clubs and be ready to move because there's no guarantee that Perth offers a crowd either. Yeah, good point. We've seen yeah. that on the day of a game, crowds be turned away. They react very quickly over there. So there is – I think you have to have a bit of a – a plan for all scenarios and be ready to move as you get closer. Here's a doomsday scenario for yep. you, Jerry, which I know you like on your other uh, yeah, line of yeah. work. The grand final's locked in. It's at Optus Stadium. We're, we're a day out from the grand final, 60,000, and then they get a couple of cases over there, as we've seen, and they take they, they allow no one to come in. Yeah, and this is the... And it's Melbourne, Western Bulldogs. These are the very real scenarios that you're trying to plan with goalposts that move on you overnight. Yeah. yeah. So this is what you probably have to have all three grounds ready to go: Perth, Adelaide, mm. and Melbourne. That and if you have that. taken the choice and you get shut down, everyone onto a plane and twenty-four hours to sell it out, which you would do in Adelaide if that was allowed, or you would bring it back here. I don't envy. It's been a near miracle getting this season yeah. stage to this point, and I'm 
we'll get the last of the home and away matches away. But the whole purpose of this conversation is to show what they you are theorising and planning around a scenario that you simply have no clue what it will look like when you arrive. Travis Old should apply for the footy ops role at the AFL because it would be it would be an easier job than the one he's doing. <laughs> yeah. at the you're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. Nick Del Santo, who's part of our Crunch Time team, is about to join us. He was appointed, as it turned out, in a blaze of controversy. The AFLW coach for St Kilda. The award-winning Crunch Time. Crunch time in round 21 has seen the Giants upset the Cats and make a real play for eighth. There's fallout all over the joint for Geelong. We've discussed the the Tex Walker issue, the racial vilification, the suspension handed down by the league and what Melbourne's new COVID outbreak means for the remainder of the season, very specifically the start of the final series and then theorising around the grand final. It's theorising which is happening right throughout the competition right now. Jared Waitley, Justin Leppage, Daisy Pearce and Sam Edmonds with you. Crunch time is for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships, they stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. This week saw Nick Del Santo make the next progression in his life in football when he was appointed the AFLW coach at St Kilda. He's part of our crunch time team. And the one sentiment that feels like it's been missing since this happened is to say congratulations. Nick, great to have you on Crunch Time and congratulations. Thank you very much, Jared. Uh, good afternoon to you all. Hope you're all having a lovely start to your day. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it's been a very big week. Um, I'm sure you're going to ask about me, so I'll touch on this straight away, Jared. I-, I must be honest, I haven't seen a lot. I've sort of tried to jump straight into the role and get a few things organised, but each night... I'll have some very kind friends from um, where I grew up or people that I've worked with just checking in on me to say, hey, you've been criticised a fair bit today. How are you travelling? I thought, oh, there must be something getting said at the moment. But um, I'm really thrilled. I I can't wait to get started. And a a different sort of challenge. I've been involved at the Saints for the previous five years in a coaching capacity with their academy. So I've loved that. And this is the next step in regards to having more of an influence on the football club or involvement in the footy club, and I can't wait. So we're going to separate the interview into two parts. The first is uh, your your appointment, and then the second is the broader discussion around AFLW coaching and the lack of, well, now zero females. And you became the, whether you know it or not, you became the poster boy for that. So let's <laughs> do the first conversation. Why did you want this job? Multiple reasons. So even going back to my playing days, Jared, I always loved the idea of coaching. I was always, and I hope this comes across with my media work as well, I love, I love the detail of football. And I've always been intrigued and um, loved, you know, something as simple as a clearance and why things happen and why they don't. So I always had that feeling as a player and thought if I ever got the opportunity one day to be a coach in any capacity, there was things that I'd like to implement or, or the sort of coach that I'd like to be. Having my toe in the water for the last five years with the Saints, that's been a really good fulfilment to work with kids between the ages of 14 or 15, multicultural backgrounds, Indigenous backgrounds. So I've loved that involvement in supporting and hopefully helping young guys on their progression and girls through that program in their progression of being AFL footballers. When this came about, and without getting the, the uh, timeline exactly right, let's say roughly a month ago, working in with my family and, and, and ultimately my other commitments, mostly being media, it, just, it was just a perfect fit. And 
when I told my wife about the idea that there was a, an availability, she instantly said to me, I can see it on your face. And I said, yep, I, I think this is it. Let me do some more research and work out exactly what it could look like. And then ultimately had to put my hat in the ring and go through the full process. So that's, that, that's the, the involvement of it. But then ultimately, you know, and you're, you're all aware of football clubs and how they make you feel. And St Kilda and North Melbourne for a period of time made me feel like that. So I've got that feeling back being a part of something that's, um, that's pretty special. Did you uh, present a specific program for the AFLW team? Yes. So I, I did a full process with multiple interviews, some really tough questions along the way. Um, the presentation was heavily revolved around, well, it was broken up into, into parts as well about the on-field, but particularly the off-field as well and sustained success. So I had to go away and do my due diligence, try and really work out who I am as a person and then how that ultimately rolls into being the coach for, um, for this possible role. So I did that full presentation and was able to work my way through the process and then have some really good conversations off the back of that and, and then ultimately finding ways to be able to implement it as this pre-season approaches us really quickly. How much did you know about the AFLW program at St Kilda and indeed the competition more broadly? Well, firstly, broadly, and I'm a sports lover, so I watch anything that's on. And I actually said to my wife the other day, imagine how much spare time I'd have if I didn't love sport. And clearly with the Olympics on at the moment, it's taking up a fair bit of my time, which I love. So I've always watched all sports, including AFLW, um, probably more so the AFLW Saints team. So I know a handful of the girls have been fortunate enough to meet them over the last couple of years, you know, at functions or just in passing while we've been crossing over with training sessions. But I've had, I've had to learn a lot as well, Jared. So there's obviously rules about the part-time role and what you can and can't do, and then ultimately the back end. And we've already got a really good team in place, and they've done some really good things in the years, in the last two years while they've been a part of the um, elite competition. So I'm learning about that process while also trying to implement and just start to put a little bit of my touch on it. What was what caused the look on your face, Nick? Daisy here. You said that you, your wife just knew you had that look on your face. What was it about the yeah. AFLW program that appealed? It, it was, I think, it was a look of excitement. Now, I haven't actually clarified that with my wife, but she instantly said to me, "I can see it on your face. I, I know you want to do it." Um, I've got three young kids, so then you instantly go into, "Well, can this work from a family perspective?" And the more that I looked into it, Daisy, the more it was like, "This is it. This is the perfect." Um, situation for me to have that fulfilment and that involvement in a football club again. So that was the look from my wife. I think she actually said yes on my behalf before I even got to explain the full commitment and what it could look like. But she's been brilliant. And, um, you know, and just a little sub story out of it, not that this is the most important thing, but I've got two young boys that are six and four and trying to instill in them about the way that you treat people and equality and all those things. But I've also got a two-year-old two daughter. And I think it's really important for her to see that her father's invested in football or in sport, but also in women's sport. So there's a couple of little things from a family perspective that I think is really important for my kids as they grow up. And 322 games at the highest level and all the footy before that, you've grown up in footy. But what do you think are going to be some of the unique challenges in AFLW? Yeah, well, I think people management. Now, I think that in some ways is, is my greatest strength days that I'd like to think that the relationships that I've had and some of my best mates are guys that I went to primary school with. So I've always felt that I've been able to build long and strong relationships with people, communication. Maybe I speak a little bit too much at times, but I'm a big believer in you know, treating people the right way. So I'd like to think that that comes across naturally in my coaching style, uh, you know, clear, concise messaging, but always ways that we can go away and get better and actually have the actions off the back of that. So I think that is my starting point. And then clearly within that, the relationship with your staff, 
roles and responsibilities and then ultimately what sort of football we play. So I've watched a lot of football and then sort of going back to Jared's question, I've watched a lot of AFLW football in the last month or so, just doing some research, speaking to some of the stats um, people that champion data and trying to you know, collate all this information about what the trends of the game are doing, what St Kilda has done. And then ultimately, how we can get better and challenge some of the really good teams. Dal, Sam Edmund here. I only want to know one thing. How yes, much Sam. How much Ross Lyon lives on in you? <laughs> now, I know you're a big impersonator. Will you introduce the girls to the sachet? Um, I'll probably have to explain it, Sammy, because the first bit, I'm not sure if they're aware of that. And I'd probably have to run it past the old Coco and Ross Lyon and say, is it okay if I implement some of your mannerisms back into the <laughs> AFL system? But I just was speaking to Brad Johnson um, a little bit earlier this morning. He said, I can't wait to do the first interview that you do. And he goes, but I want you to be Ross Lyon. I don't want you to speak <laughs> on behalf of yourself. I said, well, we'll have to see. But um, on the Ross stuff, and we do have a lot of fun with it. I was really fortunate as a player to be involved in some really good leadership groups, had four um, coaches across my 15 years. So I've been able to see lots of different styles and to the point where I used to take notes and I've still got them um, on my laptop where I used to write down things that, that I felt worked and didn't work from a coach's perspective about the way that it made us feel as, as, a, as a group, as a player. And I always thought if I ever am going to be a coach, I had something to reference back that you know, this is how the group reacted to a certain situation or the way that we were communicated to and then ultimately how that relayed onto the field. So I've always had those feelings, Sammy, of, you know, taking the best parts out of some of the coaches that I've worked with over the years. Mm. Yeah, and I actually made the mistake of impersonating Lee in front of him one day. <laughs> so don't ever do that. Hey, Del, well, done. well, we know you've got two jobs. You've got your media job where you're never wrong, never wrong yes. and now you've got your coaching job where you're never right. So get used, yeah. to, get used to that. <laughs> what is the big improvement you think in for the AFLW to close the gap? Yeah, obviously the men's game is just that little bit stronger, been going around a lot longer. What, what's, what do you think? There's obviously numerous things that can improve, but mm. what do you think it is the focus to take it to that next level? Are you referring to on-field left? Yeah, on-field, yeah. Well, yep. I think there's naturally, you know, the competition's been around for five or six years. St Kilda's been in it for the last two years. So I think there's naturally significant growth in just the ability of particularly the young girls coming through. Yep. We've got 12 girls on our list that are, I think, 18, between the ages of 18 and 20, that have had a different upbringing than what maybe Days has had, you know, with the experiences and some of the programs that they've been through. So I think there's a, there's a natural development within it. But I think this at any level, Lep, and I'm about to call a game of football today here at Marvel Stadium, I still think the greatest challenge at any level of football from any gender is game situations and actually understanding what you need to do in certain moments. And I look at, take the Cats out of it from last night, but you look at the Cats from, say, the last 15 years, the Hawks, the Sydney Swans, almost to a man, and the Tigers to a man, they know exactly what to do at every moment of the game. And I still think that's the greatest challenge and that's where experience comes in. You know, is it a fast play? Is it a slow play? Are we controlling it? So I think there's going to be huge growth in that space as well, Lip. Yep. Oh, I've got two daughters uh, in the Saints Academy, so I'm just interviewing you as a potential coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You're the, interviewing me, are well, you? We've got, the, we've got the Lions Academy we can go to. We've got the, you know, so just, just weighing up my options we'll, at the moment. We'll set up a very good environment, a great culture oh, okay. for everyone well, to be well, welcome well. to come down. Lep, anytime yeah, you're, okay. you're always welcome. Yeah, okay. No worries. Bit of cash help too. <laughs> this, this one might be a good segue to part two of this interview, Del, but yes. how do you go about, through, through no choice or fault of yours, your filling the shoes of someone who's been a women's footy pioneer, mm. yeah. um, highly respected w- within the industry. And I'd, I'd imagine there'd be some players on your list that to this point have kind of wedded their career to Pete because of the opportunity mm. that 
she gave them and the influence that she's had on their career. How do you go about, um, I guess, building relationships with those players and walking into that those shoes? It's, it's a valid point, Dave. And whether they've communicated it and whether they've spoken privately about it, they may be feeling that as well. And that's part of my responsibility and the staff ultimately when we get all set up in the next week or two to be able to create those relationships. And I, and I do understand it. And Peter and her team for the last handful of years have actually set a really good foundation. So it's not about reinventing the wheel or that everything before me needs to be completely changed. It's, we're not in that situation at all. I clearly need to learn a lot more about the detail of the program and why things have been in place the way that they have. And if it works, let's keep, let's keep doing it. If it doesn't, then we can always tinker it to get better or not. But I'd like to think that relationship stuff, days once again comes into it. And I've been in that situation as a player. I'm sure, you know, we all have in whatever facet of life that you have management that you love prior, but the football world keeps evolving. So it's my responsibility and I'm deeply passionate about relationships. I hope I've made that perfectly clear that we, we can work through that and we've got a great journey coming up you know, in regards to the next couple of years while I'm at least in the role to, to build something really special and build a football club that they love coming to and when they get out of their car after work or university, they can't wait to get to the doorstep to come in and be a part of a high-performance environment where they are allowed to learn and get better at footy. So the second part, and it's a broader discussion, we're in great hands here. Um, did you realise it would be controversial? Um. Maybe I was a touch naive, Jared, in, in that space. And maybe I sit here right now and still am because I haven't, to be honest, haven't read the paper and I haven't been online a great deal because I've actually been working um, during the week. But as I said, I have had people reach out just checking in on me and I was like, okay. So it's clearly bubbling away. Now, the feeling that I have had, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not necessarily me as the person. I like to think that I've got really good relationships with a variety of people you know, in football and outside of football. But it, it's a broader conversation, which I completely understand. I, I honestly do. And in my football time at both St Kilda and North Melbourne, we always had women involved in the football club. Now, it wasn't necessarily in the coaching space, even though Pete was at the Saints for seven years. But we've had women in our lives the whole time that have had such important influences on our football careers. I can't speak on behalf of the whole AFL, and I don't know the detail of every other club or the pathways that, that are currently in place, but all I can promise you and the others that are listening in regards to our program, we will have a, a, a diverse group, men, women, that are all come together for a collective goal and they'll all be valued and they'll all be listened to and, and spoken to in the same manner. I can promise you that. So, Days, is it controversial that there is no female coaches in the AFLW now that all 14 positions are filled? Oh, it's definitely worthy of discussion. Um, and I, I, I want to just say off the top that it's not a Nick Del Santo issue and it's not specifically a St Kilda issue. It's something that we need to look at and examine as a game because, yeah, the fact that we have a pathway now for women to play and coach the game and that we've had three credentialed coaches, female coaches coach within AFLW that are no longer there, I think it, it is a matter of, okay, why aren't they thriving and surviving? I, I'm somebody who, when asked three or four years ago, my, my view was probably a bit naive and I thought, no, nah, best person for the job and that's because I wanted to be the best player I could be. I've got a male coach who I absolutely love and I think he has the perfect skill set um, and demeanour and characteristics to get the best out of our group of women. Um, so I don't think being female should be a prerequisite, but the fact that we've got none and that we had some and they didn't survive and thrive, I think this is a systemic 
um, issue that we need to look at more closely. So what in your mind is is the cause or the causes of it? it, There's a list. I mean, for a long time it was probably um, a lack of opportunity in the game, which meant that you didn't have um, as big of a talent pool with the footy IQ and the, the experience required to be a senior coach at the level that we now get to play at. Um, part of that has been addressed and there, there are women with good CVs and good experiences now um, and it hasn't solved the issue, so, so you dig deeper. Um, the, the lack of education and, I guess, um, coaching pathways has been addressed to some degree now as well with the, the female scholarship that, that exists. There are women with high-level coaching qualifications, so, okay, that's not it. Let's dig back a bit deeper. Um, I think the, the soft cap cuts that have happened at footy clubs haven't helped. Um, it's forcing clubs to have to be resourceful and a bit thrifty. And I think for as long as um, the, the men's program with the existing pressures and how big that program is, it, it's still being viewed hierarchically as more important than the women's program. Um, so until that is addressed, I think it, it will continue to be an issue because... I, I think what's happening is that we're trying to fill the role of the women's team without trying to affect the, the men's program too much. I think that goes on at clubs to a degree. So I, I, there's so many issues involved in it. I think to to wait for women to come through and be educated, it's proven in other industries and in corporate business world that just getting the education and the the CV isn't enough. I think there's an element of cultural change that happens. And for as long as the AFLW program is considered the bolt-on and the add-on to the existing club and the the men's program, it will play second fiddle. And I think that's an an issue as well. How does that get confronted? (sighs) Ah, Leadership. Um, club by club or the AFL? Combination of both. I think I think the AFL play a role, but I think it's also um, organisational structure and putting um, female leaders in decision-making positions in clubs is important as well so that um, the views and the issues and the day-to-day happenings of your women's program are advocated for at leadership and decision-making level. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's obviously one that's close to my heart, having three uh, young daughters and two of them playing football and, and one that really wants to be a, a footballer when she grows up. And, and, and you don't always just become a footballer. You can become, like you do days in commentary, like your special comments work. I mean, you're a real trailblazer, I think, for young girls. Um, and it, it, if anyone who watches the Friday night, I, I don't want to be a little biased, but I, I, I listen to you and, and you are more versed on what the modern game's doing. I'm sorry, BT, and those around <laughs> than those that are there, but it's true. And sometimes it just comes down to opportunity and, and giving females opportunity to, to do it. And, mm. and we are in some areas, I think at board level, we're getting better at footy clubs and trying to get a bit more of an even balance there. But there's other parts of still our game that we haven't quite got there. We haven't quite accepted to take that chance. If, and we shouldn't even say take that chance because it's not. It's just we haven't changed history yet. yet. And it's just it's just going to take the courage of um, someone within a footy club to make those changes in important, important spots like coaches um, and not just trainers and not just board members that are it's starting to change there but other really important decision-making areas like Daisy's saying. Clubs need to um, make an investment and place value on that role. It's a part-time program, but if you think you're going to retain um, – 
high quality professionals in their former life because that's the profile of these coaches that we're talking about that haven't thrived and survived they're professionals in their mm. in their career so if you if you want them to continue to coach to pay them a, a part-time honorarium that is a, you know not enough to support a family well then they're not going to stay within the industry it, it, it's just it, clubs need to invest and that may mean that they have to work across both programs, but don't see that as a disadvantage. Use their skills and value their skill set that they may bring from other parts of life and the impact that it might have on your entire club. So in the two instances, the Bulldogs and the Brisbane Lions, so Debbie Lee runs the Bulldogs women's program and Nathan Burke's the coach, and in the Lions yeah, case... Brianna, Brianna Brock's the CEO, I guess, of women's football there, and Craig Starsevich is the senior coach. Is that... Is that a good model? Is that does that ease any of the senior coach being male, and that none of the female there are no female coaches in the league at the moment? I, th- I think it's important to have, like I said, females in in leadership positions advocating for the women's program. I think as well, or at least, I mean, they don't even have to be female. I, I should be careful not to say that, but just people that are passionate. Um, and will have the courage to advocate for a program that is new and it is, um, in the nicest possible way, it is disruptive to the existing environment that AFL clubs have been and not because um, anyone's walking around trying to be confrontational or it's men versus women. It's just trying to fit in a new program with different needs and different challenges because of the part-time nature of it and trying to harmoniously exist. To, to think that we're just going to tuck in and add on and... Um, just smoothly become a part of what has been the, the existing flow. I don't think you can come at it from that, that lens. You have to kind of look at the whole thing. But until clubs do that, uh, I, the, the females advocating for it or, or women in leadership positions advocating for the women's program is important. Do you know at St Kilda, is there somebody who advocates for the program, Nick? Well, they've got a good structure, Jared, in regards to Jamie Cox is the head of women's football at the moment, and there's a little bit of crossover from my understanding in regards to bringing the two programs together. If it went to a board um, discussion, I'm not exactly sure on the detail of that about who represents the W program. I would only assume that it has been Jamie Cox. But, and this is a bit, little bit more holistic, and I, Daze, everything you just said then, it makes perfect sense. And a lot of people, I don't think there'd be many people that would disagree with you, and I feel the same way. And just to reiterate what I touched on before, we are going to have women, we, if, if we're fortunate enough, we'll have multicultural Indigenous people in our program to have a diverse range of people with, with different backgrounds and different perspectives on football to ultimately make us a better football club. But as, as we go forward, I'd like to think that the two programs, being the men's and the women's, can actually come together for the greater good as well. So there's an, I think cricket has been a great trailblazer. So I probably set netball has been generations advanced. Cricket invested, I think, ahead of time, made its um, made its elite program professional, washed money through it, and look at the outcome that it's got. And I think that's what the AFL should do long term. So just checking that they. The women's cricket team is the most successful team in the country. It is coached by a male. And then just checking what's happening in Victoria. So the two big bash teams, the two WBBL teams are coached by males. Every premier women's cricket team is coached by a male. And I think every WBBL team nationally is coached by a male. Is there 
um, is there a, a lack of female coaches there who are ready to take positions? Are they being overlooked? And then this does go, I think, to pathways. And I'm the first to say, I don't have the answers. Mm. But if the AFL has set up its finishing school of the level four, it has to put an equal number of men and women through that program. Because what they're saying to clubs is these are the best qualified people that we can offer you into a pool to choose from. And I'm not saying it's the panacea, but you have to do that, don't you? So that you and Alicia Eva and that to come out with that endorsement, this is the best program we can think of. Now, you boards at footy clubs, this is the pool of talent. Are you prepared to pick from this pool of talent or not? Well, that that's absolutely a part of the equation. Um, Nick, well yes. done. Well done. <laughs> Great discussion. I, I love the discussion. And, um, you know, it's been good being a part of um, crunch time, you know, over the last you know, year or so. But what you just said, I think, is a great conversation. And that how that is how the, the change starts initially, days. And I don't want to wish you too much best anymore. So um, <laughs> we look forward to seeing you uh, throughout the year. Daisy says yeah. she wants 150000 a year, was it? What, to come, come across? Not too late. I wish you uh, relative success, Nick. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Love working with you. But, no, Are you going to tag Daisy Pierce? That's what we want to know. Uh, what position is she playing? Where is she starting? Is she going to come up from the half-four line? We need Ooh. to know the details Play the dusty first. role. Stop him straight forward. <laughs> the striker. Ooh. Good on you, Dal. We'll leave you, Thanks. B. Nick Del Santo. Have Santo. a great day and a good call. AFLW coach at St Kilda. We are gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic Fuel Your Adventure with Dometic's outdoor drinkware. So the first game to go is Carlton and the Suns, and there is a lot resting on that. How will Gold Coast respond to an ignominious performance last week? Uh, the Blues don't have an eye on a place in the eight anymore after the Giants did it yesterday, but... And they got their response. Can they turn that into something more? So that's all for Dometic. Always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventures take you with Dometic's rugged drinkware. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Calling. The award-winning Crunch Time. Crunch Time in round 21 ahead of Carlton and the Suns at Marvel Stadium. The Giants caused the upset last night and have taken a grip on eighth place. Only Fremantle can displace them as the weekend goes on. We'll look to the flashpoints of this round of footy before we are done. Jared Waitley, Justin Lippich, Daisy Pearce and Sam Edmonds with you. Um, the coaching scenario in the AFLW. So we know that one job is open. It depended which day you read the paper as to whether it's Brad Scott or Don Pike, who's the, the favourite at Collingwood, Sam. is uh, They're obviously getting pretty close to the end of their process. Lucky enough to have Brad Scott in the studio downstairs at uh, the Sports Entertainment Network during the week for Off the Bench with Liam Pickering. And we thought, look, it'd be rude of us not to ask a question about Collingwood. It'd be a bit strange. And he gave us absolutely nothing, Jared, <laughs> And I mean nothing, but... Hasn't history been kind to him over the journey? He's funny. It's a bit like Don Pike, of course, just revolutionised the way Adelaide played the game from an offensive perspective as well. And over time, obviously, Brad Brad uh, Scott's record stands up as well as anyone's without getting the ultimate. So they're both there. They're both up to their neck in this job. And um, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. The man opposite me, I, I keep saying this, knows more than both of us put together, Jared. <laughs> I know nothing. Which jobs are you in for? <laughs> <laughs> 
Jeez. Um, um, I've got uh, Peninsula Grammar going. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a cleaning well, you contract You sound like somewhere. Brad Scott. Um, yeah. It is interesting um, – some of the framing around it. So Colin would have been ultra defensive and the idea that Don Pike is plays uh, coaches yep. sexy footy. Yep. This is the antidote to what Colin would need. They've got this, they need that. Mm. Is that it? Or is it and does Brad Scott have the choice of the two jobs, the AFL job yep. or the Collingwood job? Um well, Lepper knows better. It's never that simple, though, is it? I mean, no. footy, oh. how much has footy changed since Don Pike took the reins at Adelaide to what 2022 will be? I think one thing we do, particularly in the media, we get excited by the name a lot. And, and it may be someone that's not even there that we're thinking of for the for the Collingwood job. I mean, I, yeah. I think we, what they're about to go through, they need a, a good educator. Um, they need a good person, someone who's got history with, um, I think um, – developing um, really good talent. Oh, that's what they should be looking at. Going for just a big name is fine, but they're not the ones they're going to be sitting down and um, wiping the tears off the players' faces after losses and things like that. So, yeah, it's good to have a figurehead and have a name, but I think we overrate that part of it a little bit. The ones that are, are at the coal face, making sure the boys are educated properly and developing well, um, particularly if, they, if they're going to go through a phase which we expect – is going to be a bit of a phase in the bottom half of the ladder. So um, I'll be in- I'm intrigued as well to see which way they go with it. Do they go the bigger name like a Don Pike who um, took Adelaide very quickly to a very good team or yeah. do they go a more of a development style type coach? With a mentor as well, perhaps, which has been... Well, maybe, yeah, and, and, and have good assistance around them. Just get yeah. a good crew of people. Like, I, I was of the opinion sometimes to go, why wouldn't, um, let's say, we'll say Collingwood because they're the, they're the team that actually needs a group. Why wouldn't they go to Damien Harbour and say, okay, I want you to bring yourself, um, Tim Livingston, your, your three favourite assistants and whatever, because you, you all speak the same language from day one. So you plonk five people that know what they're talking about that have got good shared experience together mm. from day one. But what they, we tend to do is we, we put one from each. And your first year or two, you're trying to work each other out a little bit until you work out how to work together. So um, I've never seen a team do that, but it would be a smart way to do it because you, your communication is already A1 from day one. A travelling party, if you like. One, one yeah. thing we can say, Jared, is that timelines can change, of course, but at this point it looks as though Collingwood won't be in a position to make an announcement on their coach until post-round 23. They've got a number of players out of contract at the moment who have been told just hold your horses, we've got to wait to see who comes in, and the timeline they've been given mm. is, is at the end of the home and away season. Yeah, and that makes sense. Is let, let Robert Harvey finish the job that you asked him to do. Yep. And I'm pretty sure we'll learn in the aftermath that, that – he knew full well that he wasn't in the mix to be coach and he's done the job about as well as an interim coach. He has. As a result, maybe with a few parameters and what he might've said that this is what I could do over this period of time without ever coming into calculations for the main job. I think he's carried himself quite superbly to be honest. Do, Do Collingwood want to keep him as an assistant as well, or is he considered a part of the long-term problem or, because that's the thing, I mean, as good a job as he done, you know, Harbs might be sitting there at the end of the year going, I need a job somewhere. Yeah. Because they, yeah. they may not have anything for him. So that, it's quite sad the way our footy industry works. Mm. Above it, all else, they wanted change. Yeah, he it. didn't represent yeah. change at yeah. the start, but hopefully it's been illuminating to them as to hey, why would we let this guy yeah. go? Well, he's a great person. He's only got you know good raps everywhere he's gone. So and it'd be horrible to lose a good talent. But find, I find in footy we, we easily discard good talent anyway. Well, yep. look at Hawthorne. We, we do that quite often. Um, just because of freshness um, and, and needing something new. Just removing you from this question here completely, but do you anticipate we, we see the merry, the assistant coach merry-go-round is quite a busy one. Yep. Do, you, do you think we'll see a lot of turnover at the end of this year? Obviously, Carlton have got their review. Gold Coast have got some questions that need answered. We know what's going on at Collingwood and the like. Do you anticipate a big 
switcheroo of assistant coach? My my guess is that every footy club is sitting there working at how do we manage this soft cap? And Daisy touched on it briefly because mm. you've got uh, your team, you've got your AFLW team, your VFLW team. How can we utilise the resources we've got? So I think a lot of clubs are up in the air and what they're doing with it. Do we actually need as many assistants? Do we need to reshuffle a different, completely different way? Do we have a role that's part-time in the AFLW program and the and the men's program as well. I think that there's a lot of that going on in the background where everyone's a bit unsure how to spend their money because there's not a lot of it and they've got to, they've got to spread it pretty thin. The two coaches in our afternoon game, um, David Teague and Stuart Dew, so I always think there's a really awkward phase where a coach who's been sized up fairly or unfairly ends up as the only one speaking for themselves, the only ones spruiking their capacity to be able to do the job, they're just left to do it. I feel, I think David Teague's just in an awful position where he's the only one campaigning for himself right now and you just wonder if the decisions have already made behind, behind the scenes. I just had a little hunch for the first time around Stuart Dew this week and there was a certain defensiveness in, in how he answered his questions yesterday that, we, that can't be anything else when you're probably no longer certain that you've still got that same level of support. I think this is the most awkward phase that coaches go through. You're looking at me. You can if you want. I've, I've been through it. <laughs> oh, it's hard. Um, yeah, I went through a period where you know you're, you're sort of done a little bit, and that's 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 a real challenge because I guess from a David Teague perspective, he he sees. Oh, I'm still contracted. I've still got a job to do, but everyone else around you is sort of falling away in faith, it seems to be. And then there's rumours that are coming out of your football club. It seems there's a lot of leakiness coming out of that footy club at the moment as well. So then you find out a little bit of who can you trust around you. So I, I don't think David Teague's done that bad a job, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I think they sit where I thought they'd sit. They're in the same points as Richmond still. Yeah, they're fighting. They can make the eight. Imagine they can make the eight. Yeah. You're sitting in a position where you might sack a guy that could potentially mathematically win a flag. Now, we know that's not going to happen, but it's quite odd. Normally, this is left for the discussion of, if, like in my situation, you've been in the bottom for two years. Which, is it time to make a change? Not. But is it is it not as much to do with the fact that who's available? Mm. I mean, surely that that is a massive part of it when you've got a four-time premiership coach on the open market. That changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, but only two years ago you hired the guy you loved. I don't make that doesn't make sense to me. There's a reason you get married. It's not like oh well, this is a new option come out in two years yeah. that was a you know a bit richer, a bit skinnier, and a bit awesome. Like you, you don't do that then. You just you, you you've made the commitment back then, and I'm sure the same people that made the commitment two years ago are still there. It's not I death to, to not death to us part though when you're talking senior coaches though, is it? Yeah. Oh well, look. I mean, in a lot of ways, I actually think we get treated. Well, when I say senior coach in the AFL, pretty well when you compare it to world sport, when they've got an average lifespan of eight months, yeah. you know. And and but what they do is they go, oh well, I'll go to Spain now for yeah. another eight months, and then they go back to England. And the other it, doors aren't here. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, we have eighteen jobs. That's it. So you almost defend them with your life because there's no there's no going to Fiji to coach the Fijian AFL team. It, it just there's no other jobs. You haven't watched Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is uh, so this is a, th- a theoretical, right? A hypothetical, and this stuff never translates when it gets tweeted and all. But we're thinking this week: if we were an international, if we were international football, Damien Hardwick would leave Richmond at the end of this year, and he would take yeah. Carlton, and Adam Simpson would leave West Coast at the end of this year, and he would go to Collingwood. Yep, that, that's sort of how it works. That's right. We're wedded to this idea that longevity is success, well, as opposed to. 
But we're also wedded to this idea of once you fail once, you can never get back yeah. in. So we, we've, that's what creates the protection. So it's like this massive leap of faith to take on a Michael Voss again. Mm. Why? You know, like he's a highly experienced man now and go, oh, if it doesn't work in two years, we'll get someone else. So we don't have the maturity of our system. So we are like Stuart Jew, for instance, his record would not stack up in anywhere else in the world. But we go, we're, and the other part too, Jared, is we're a development league. We don't get it. We don't get the finished product only. We get the guy in four years, he's going to be good for you. Well, great. He's going to be great for the next coach, but he's not going to be good for me. So there's a lot of. There is a lot of differences in our game. But I'd love to have the maturity where it's like, oh, I'll have a crack at it 18 months down the track. Oh, well, that didn't work. I'll go to a different place. But there's not enough places to go to. These are the teams Roy Hodgson's managed in the, in the, okay, in the yeah, UK, yeah. if you like, Jerry. That's off the page. I had to scroll down. There's about 20 clubs there. There's a couple of countries as well. Uh, Crystal Palace, of course, most recently. So he's a guy, Roy Hodgson, in, uh, in the world game, 73 years of age, still managing. And uh, as long as the Flemington's straight, that resume. You know, the other thing too, so you talk about the NFL, we can compare ourselves to because we are a, a nationwide sport like that. They have the um, college system that they have as well, which makes in- its own income. We have the AFL or bust. We, I think we've got to put some, get some other type of competition that has some interest. Like if we had, like in America, our college team and our senior team, if we had, if we, I don't know, for example, we barrack mm-hmm. for Deakin University because they're about to play the... Melbourne you know, Uni, Melbourne Uni. Yeah. You know, which we it would be a much it would be a, there's more money in the game if you do that. But we are very you know straight and narrow when it comes to our our football. That's for sure. So this afternoon, the early start is Carlton and the Gold Coast. We'll cast a broader eye as we go along. Uh, we're about to get our update here. Our Bet Deluxe updates, uh, serious betting for serious punters. Download the new Bet Deluxe app today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Paul Sebastiani. Paul, welcome. Very good morning. Uh, very good afternoon to you, Jared. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Run us through the AFL games today and tonight. We shall indeed. Yeah, we shall indeed. Quarter to two, Carlton v Gold Coast. Carlton, the dollar twenty-seven favourites. Gold Coast, three dollars and eighty-five cents. Richmond, your dollar forty-three favourites here at four thirty-five against North Melbourne, who are the two dollar and eighty-six cent outsiders. And then tonight, Adelaide and Port Adelaide go head to head in showdown number fifty. Dollar eleven for Port Adelaide, six dollars and seventy-five cents for Adelaide and Sydney, a dollar forty, and St Kilda are the two dollar and ninety-eight cent outsiders. So, plenty of action on board for the AFL punters of Bet Deluxe this week, Jared. And what have you got at Flemington this afternoon? Yeah, we've got Astrologist is the favourite uh, in the sprint up the straight there, the Ori Star handicap. But there's one I actually don't mind at each way odds. We've had a little bit of speaking for number ten in that race, Secret Blaze at thirty to one. Tony McAvoy and John McNeil combined. I reckon that might be the each-way spec that the punters will be on in race eight at Flemington today. So make sure you download the brand-new Bet Deluxe app. Plenty of AFL and racing punning on today, Jared. Thanks, Paul. Paul Sebastiani with the Bet Deluxe update. Now, throughout the season, we are counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. And with the prospects of the Bulldogs and Essendon <laughs> meeting tomorrow, there is one iconic moment which leaps literally to mind. Lalic, Lalic's doing well to Heffernan, second time he's taken out in a minute, Lucas read it best, wrong side for him, hooks it back, what a <laughs> sensational, he's taken the wind out of himself, and why wouldn't he, because he sucked it in from the stratosphere when he was up there, when that ball was kicked, I thought he's got no chance of marking it, and he's that hot, he just threw himself at it, and it stuck, Joe Mussini just looked at the scoreboard and said, I want to see it again. I tell you what, I look at Chris Terrence looking at the scoreboard and saying, I might have lost the car. That, oh. that is it. 
That is it. What? Unbelievable, man. <laughs> that, that is going to be on bars and that's going to be in the on pub walls I, for the next hundred years, that side on shot. I'll tell you how good it is. It'll be on CNN. <laughs> that was unbelievable. It was unbelievable, Bruce. Furphy, unbelievable moments. Furphy, refreshing ale, unbelievable. Gary Moorcroft, 20 years on, and uh, it's still as vivid in the mind as it was on the night that it was taken. Oh, that's when a little man does something a big man should do. It was awesome, wasn't it? You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And, of course, for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. The Crunch Time Harley Heaven rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. So where to spend? I think, I think Leper, you should rev up the Suns after Ooh. last week. So <laughs> everything goes wrong in their preparation last week and they play like it. Now they've had a week to settle. And a little bit, this was Carlton's responsibility last week. You make the mess, go out and clean it up. The Suns, you make the mess last week. What are you going to do about it this afternoon? And it's interesting that both these teams play each other, don't they? The teams that, you know, just in the background, we've seen some some little things that, that I guess as media we start to pick up. We see the um, CEO on the box last week and then Stewie Dew's comments and, and Clarko's sort of getting rolled into that. So all those things are starting to roll around the Gold Coast as well. So on-field is the best way to answer all of those sorts of things. But Gold Coast after last week, and I know they had some alibis. Oh, that was unbelievable. Yeah, you often don't want to bring that stuff up. You wouldn't want to talk about how bad life is before a game because everyone's going through some bad stuff. Yeah. But they need to show – let's park that as a mulligan. Let's, they've got to show something a bit more today. Daisy, that's our afternoon. So uh, we'll we'll delve there a little bit further. Hey, did, did you see or hear Daniel Venables during the week? Yep. And just how – so there's the theory of concussion. There's the spectre of it. There's the fear of it. And then there's the – Here's a young man, pick 12, roars onto the scene, youngest member of a premiership side, 21 games, 22 years of age, career over. It was confronting, wasn't it? I mean, here's a guy who's not just making the decision to step away for fear of future knocks. He's continuing to suffer from symptoms. Yeah. The... um I went through it with Justin Clark uh, at yes. Brisbane uh, when I was coaching. Um, mm. So it, it, it is a horrible thing. It was a horrible incident that, that Justin had at, at training as well. But he is going to be oh, – he's going to basically send rockets to the moon. Yeah, right. Sam, that's how smart this guy was. And you think about that. You think about what the damage it does to the brain. He was really concerned about what it would do for his education. How old was he? Oh, he's the same age, yeah. 21. That's he the was. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like your whole life set towards one thing. You finally get yourself there, the, the footy world at your feet, and Venables was a high pick. I can't remember, Clark. No, he was a rookie pick. Right. But, it but playing some good footy. Yeah. And then it's just taken away from you in matters that you never would have anticipated. So to get to the point where you, you have no choice, that is enormously difficult for a young man, I would have thought. Imagine the man that's gone through what Venables went through. And, he, and, I, and I saw it, Jared, and he says, one thing I did work out, life's bigger than football. And not many 21-year-olds would say that at that point. You, you know, you'd eat a football if you were told to at that age yeah. and, not, and not think anything else was more important. But he's gone through such a journey to actually reflect on and say, gosh, I, I have to do this for my life. And... You know, which makes you realise at times, is it, what, what, what am I worried about, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a sad, it's, it's a really sad story. The way he described it as a relief gave a bit of an insight into just what he's been through in the last couple of years as well. 
trying to get back but battling this um, overwhelming feeling that he wasn't right, three steps forward, five steps back. Like the way he described it as a relief to me was like, wow, um, he's been through a lot and it's a, a lot to take on as a young man. It does. It, so it, it leaves you to wonder what will it look like in a generation's time? And this is not just an AFL conversation. This is every contact sport in the world lives in fear of what head trauma looks like in a generation's time. Yeah, and look, we've already seen the effects, particularly in the NFL, um, of, of, of the long-term effects of um, too many head knocks. I, I think we're doing a lot of good things now. You know, you, you 10 years ago or even five years ago, um, having a week off from concussion was like, yeah, how am I feeling? Maybe it's a possibly. Now it's automatically a tap to the head. It's like off, not only off the ground, not coming back on, but you're getting some time off. So it'll get better, but at least we're going down the right path to recognise we don't mess with this. This is just an automatic... It, it's not a, I'll oh, do the test. What do you think? You know, do you want to go and try? It, it's, it's just a complete cut. No, you're off and, you're, and you, you're off for at least another week. So I love the fact that we're taking this level, level of approach and it's probably going to get better over time. And it's not just changed at, I guess, policy-making level. I think back to Chelsea Randall's response to her situation when she had yeah. to sit out a grand final and just how she immediately was able to see the bigger picture. I mean, it, it, it's changing culturally amongst the players and the way we view it ourselves. Mm. Absolutely. I wonder how many footballers would look at Venable's scenario and go, blimey, that, that, that could be any of us. I remember there was just this, when Philip Hughes died playing mm. cricket, there was this incredible dawning for the whole ex-player group. You're going, oh, that could have been any of us. You just never imagined that it would be and then suddenly you're confronted with it. Mm. Seven brain seven brain bleeds. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's fr- it's a uh, it comes story. The, confronting is the perfect word because um, it was hard to even listen to some of that. For two years, imagine having symptoms for two years, not knowing if tomorrow's going to be the day that they go away. I mean, it's amazing that he was that resilient, to be honest. It, they're still not gone either. No. He's, he's still not the same with the way he describes it, like pressure in his head and ongoing headaches. So Horrible. It's, it's not that... He's he's been told he can't play. He's almost resigned to the fact that he can't play with his existing symptoms as well. You can give us a call on the open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six for Southern Phone. Awesome new SIM-only offers from Southern Phone. So a lot to dissect through that crunch time. You can join us next, one three hundred seven three six seven three six to have your say on how matters sit in footy right now ahead of of a day that starts intriguingly with Carlton and the Suns. Leper, will, will Richmond take care of North Melbourne and and, and give themselves Ooh. a chance of eighth still? It's, I, I just – their selections are intriguing in the fact that both Arts and Castagna, their pressure forwards are out of it. And young um, Rioli's uh, – sorry, yeah, Rioli's come in. Um, but is he a pressure forward? He's not. Are they changing their – is this a changing of the guard for Richmond style, if you know what I mean, by losing those sort of – you know, blue-collar type, pressure-type players, you know. So it's, oh, that was the one interesting selection for me. Is it, Are they changing a bit? Are you excited to see Rioli? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, any Rioli. <laughs> if it's Rioli. Any Rioli's a good Rioli. I'm watching. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, then the showdown in front of a small crowd at Adelaide Oval, the Crows and Port Adelaide, and St Kilda and Sydney close out the night. So the Swans... Oh, they've got every incentive to take aim at the top four. They come up against the Saints. That's Saturday, footy, one 736 This has been crunch time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough.
G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.